Our series on the Lord's Prayer continues today as we take a look at the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. What it means and what it doesn't mean next. Join us. This is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. Welcome to the program. This is the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. And currently, we're in the middle of our series on the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at the sixth petition found in the Lord's Prayer today. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 is the subject of our time today. We'll also spend some time in Isaiah 45 and 46. It's an encouraging look at this petition and what it means and what it doesn't mean. Here's our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Last Sunday, we began looking at the sixth petition of the Lord's Supper. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I concluded last week by talking about three revealed truths that make this sixth petition possible and necessary. They were the sovereignty of God, the power of evil, and the weakness of man. Last week, we looked particularly at the sovereignty of God. And it is the sovereignty of God that actually makes a prayer like this even possible. One of the fundamental principles of Scripture concerning who God is, is that He has everything under control. He orchestrates everything including the sin of man, to accomplish his purposes in our lives. In the Psalms, we read that he even causes the wrath of the wicked to please him. God even brings dark times and tragic times and hard times into our lives. And then he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, which actually in Hebrew not only means death, but it also means our ignorance the hostility of our enemies, and our confusion, and the harassment of evil. And he leads us through those times because he has a purpose in them all. In larger catechism question 195, we get a very practical explanation of the sixth petition and what we are praying for when we pray it. And I've included one of them, uh, the question and answer to question 195, in your bulletin this week, and I would like to read it to you. Please pay close attention. It's rather long, but this is really something that's worthy of our meditation on, beloved. In the sixth petition, which is, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, acknowledging that the most wise, righteous, and gracious God, for divers holy and just ends, may so order things that we may be assaulted, foiled, and for a time led captive by temptations, that Satan, the world, and the flesh are ready powerfully to draw us aside and ensnare us, and that we, even after the pardon of our sins, by reason of our corruption, weakness, and want of watchfulness, are not only subject to be tempted and forward to expose ourselves unto temptations, but also of ourselves unable and unwilling to resist them, to recover out of them 
and to improve them, and worthy to be left under the power of them. We pray that God would so overrule the world and all in it, subdue the flesh and restrain Satan, order all things, bestow and bless all means of grace, and quicken us to watchfulness in the use of them, that we and all his people may by his providence be kept from being tempted to sin, or, if tempted, that by his Spirit we may be powerfully supported and enabled to stand in the hour of temptation, or when fallen, raised again, and recovered out of it, and have a sanctified use and improvement thereof, that our sanctification and salvation may be perfected, Satan trodden under our feet, and we fully freed from sin, temptation, and all evil forever. Now, if you noticed, it says we acknowledge several things when we pray this petition. We acknowledge the sovereignty of God. We acknowledge the power of evil. We acknowledge the weakness of our own sinful flesh, and most particularly, we acknowledge that our most righteous and gracious God, for a variety of purposes, so orders things in your life and mine that we may be assaulted, frustrated, defeated, and for a time led captive to temptation. Now, the very last thing I talked about last week was King Hezekiah. How God, in his sovereignty, put Hezekiah in a position where God left him alone. Not absolutely, but where God withheld some of his restraint on Hezekiah, who was, for all means and purposes, a godly man. He was showing Hezekiah what he was still capable of, and his arrogance and his pride got the best of him, and it led to the defeat of Israel. God put Hezekiah to the test. Satan turned that into temptation, and godly king Hezekiah fell into sin and failed to learn what God desired for him to learn until Isaiah came along and told him what God was going to do as a result of his failure to humble himself. There are other examples of this in the Bible, and I'd like for you to look at a few of them with me now. Turn with me to David's experience in Psalm 73. God sometimes order life, orders life so that we're frustrated and defeated by sin and temptation to teach us certain lessons about ourselves and about himself. In Psalm 73, you see David expressing the fact that he had lost the awareness of God's presence in his life and God's nearness to him. Now, notice the strong words he uses in verses 21 through 28. Psalm 73, 21 through 28. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord, that I may declare all thy works. He said, Therefore a while I was senseless. Therefore a while it was as if you had left me in the dark. As if you had left me to fend for myself. But, I was, but as I considered my situation, he said, I realized that you are a sovereign God that brought everything into my life for a purpose. To build me up in my faith. And I remembered that you were really there the whole time. It was simply my awareness of you that had diminished. Some guys, sometimes God intensifies our trials and sufferings to test us. Sometimes He keeps us from being happy. Sometimes He makes us even miserable. Sometimes He puts all kinds of big thorns into our rose garden so that we can learn whatever lessons He wants us to learn. That's what happened to Israel. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Sometimes in my counseling, I recommend this passage to people who are going through a wilderness experience where it is if God has just left them alone to fend for themselves. I ask you, why does God do these kinds of things? Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I will read verses 1 through 10. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 10. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that, as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of, olive, of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. You see, God put Israel through the wilderness to teach them things, to see if they would depend upon Him and live according to His Word and keep their priorities straight, even in difficult situations, like wandering in the scorching wilderness for 40 years. He said, even then I fed you. Even then I didn't let your feet swell. Even though, as it were, I left you to yourself, I was still there taking care of you. 
But I kept you there until you learned the lessons I wanted you to learn. I was disciplining you as a father disciplines his son and wants him to learn the lessons he needs to learn. And then I brought you into land flowing with milk and honey, with no scarcity whatsoever, with all of its joys and its treasures and its promises. Maybe you're going through a wilderness experience. Maybe you feel as if God has left you. Maybe you feel like there is an increase of troubles and trials and problems and sickness and the like in your life. God does that, beloved, because he loves you. God is disciplining you to make you strong. It is easy to trust in God when everything's going our way. It's easier not to succumb to temptation when everything is smooth. But now God says... When everything is rough, let me see if you can still stand. Let's see if you will depend upon me. Let's see what's really in your heart. And if you learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the wilderness experience will be over because you won't even care if you're in that wilderness experience any longer. And I will take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, the fact is that God is sovereign, and it means that when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, knowing that even when those trials and temptations come, God is always there and has everything under his sovereign control. Sometimes God brings sickness and other tragedies into people's lives like Job. Again, a godly man. God took away his health, his family, his wealth, his property, even the sympathy of his wife to test him, to see what was in his heart. And Job passed the test. He said, Lord, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Even though my life is crumbling down all around me, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that someday he shall stand upon the earth and I shall see him with my resurrected eyes. God made Hezekiah sick, terminally ill. Then God healed him of that illness. Now remember, God doesn't always heal illness. But he healed Hezekiah. And then what does the Bible say about Hezekiah? It says... That experience humbled him. It brought him to the safest place on earth. And that's on his face, near to God, confessing his sins and his dependence upon God. God made Paul sick. God used Satan to put a thorn in his flesh, some kind of physical malady that was actually an embarrassment to him. And what was Paul's response? Was it one of bitterness? No, his response was, I have learned through all of this that God's grace is all I need. And when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, why does God do these things to us? Why does God make us sick? Why does God send tragedies into our lives? Why does God keep us from being aware of his presence Why is it that sometimes God deals with us in such a way that it feels like he has left us all alone 
or that he has held back his strength, that we have to depend more upon ourselves to learn what we are capable of. Why does God do things like this? Since, of course, he is a God of love. Well, he does these things in our lives because he is a sovereign God and a God of love. Please take out your hymnal. I'd like you to turn in the back to the Westminster Confession of Faith, page 677. Because there it tells us in several words right out of the Bible some of the reasons why God brings these dark and distressing days into our lives and then leads us through valleys of the shadow of death where sometimes we seem defeated by temptation and frustrated by our sin. Notice up at the top of page 677 and then go down to paragraph 5. This chapter is about the providence of God. It says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God does oftentimes leave for a season his children to manifold temptations and to the corruption of their hearts. End quote for just a moment. So they have a relatively have to relatively face these things all by themselves, beloved. Why? He leaves them sometimes to, ch to chasten former sins. You know, whenever Paul remembered that, before he was a Christian, he persecuted them, it broke him. It humbled him. It humiliated him. And sometimes God brings us through these times and orders our lives so that we are tried to chastise us and to break us and to bring us to a greater humility when we realize the sins we have committed in our lives. He also leaves us to face temptations, quote, to discover the hidden strength of corruption and the deceitfulness of their sins that they might be humble, unquote. Now, what all that old language means is that God brings these things into our lives to show us what we are capable of. You know, you thought you were past all of those old sins. You thought you had victory over that sin and that you wouldn't be tempted in that area anymore. Then lo and behold, God withholds his presence relatively and shows you what in and of yourself you are still capable of and what you would be like were it not for the restraints of the transforming power of God's grace and of his Holy Spirit. And then also it says, quote, to raise us to a more close and constant dependence for our support upon himself, end quote. God brings us through these valleys of temptation where we are defeated and frustrated and harassed and held captive by our sins so that we will recognize a little more closely how totally dependent we are upon Him for support and protection so that we will strive to be closer to Him in the days to come than we have been in the past. And then it says... Quote, to make us more watchful against all future occasions of sin, unquote. God causes these times of frustration and captivity sin to take place in our lives so that once we have gone through the wilderness, we've learned the lesson, we've repented, we've confessed our sins, and we will be more on guard and watchful in the days ahead for similar situations. 
and then not be swept off our feet by temptation so easily as we were in the past. And then I like this last line a lot. Quote, for and for sundry other just and holy ends. End quote. Why does God frustrate us and cause our sins to harass us and lead us into captivity? Well, if we were to put it, the answer to that question in simple modern English, it would just come out, etc. You know, who truly knows all the various reasons God has for bringing us through these various valleys? But God is sovereign. And he has a purpose in everything that he does in our lives. So when we come to the sixth petition, we know that we are praying to a sovereign God who can lead us into temptation if he wants to. And if he sees fit to, we know he will keep us in temptation and watch over us and use that temptation to build us up in our faith. And he will rescue us out of temptation. And cause us to be stronger on the other side than we were on this side. Only a sovereign God can answer the sixth petition. And it is the sovereignty of God that makes this petition possible for us. Well, there are two things that make this petition necessary. And one is the power of evil. Our catechism question 195 says, Whenever we pray this petition, we are acknowledging that Satan... The world and the flesh are ready powerfully to draw us aside and ensnare us. Now bear in mind who the us is here. It is Christians. It's you and me. When we pray the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging that Satan, the world, and the flesh are ready powerfully to draw even us aside and ensnare and trap us. Now, beloved, that sentence in our catechism is no exaggeration. There's no hyperbole in that sentence. There is a trinity of evil out there that has one goal, and that is to destroy you and me. The first is obviously Satan. Now, beloved, don't be so modern and so sophisticated that you are embarrassed by the biblical doctrine of Satan or the devil. It's not just for little children. That is a doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the teaching of Scripture. There is an enemy that you have out there who goes about like a roaring lion and whose one goal is to destroy you no matter how strong a Christian you are. David was a man after God's own heart and Satan set him up with a temptation called Bathsheba. He was no immature Christian. He was not new to the faith. But in 2 Chronicles 21.1 it says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, I don't have time to go into the details of this. But it says Satan was able to influence David's desires and plans even though he was a strong Christian. He was a godly man. And here Satan is ready and eager to destroy even the strongest of us. 
And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Dot org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.